Who says tech can't be human? Analyst briefings weren't helping me. Reading articles, it wasn't deep enough for me. I wanted to ask very specific questions into probe. It's just reinvigorated my whole career, re-energized me. And I urge anybody to just be open to that and not be afraid. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. When it comes to IT and security, we can all agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and the manual asset inventory approach no longer cuts it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate actions, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com forward slash get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com forward slash get dash a dash tour. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we have with us a guest that is all about fixing a problem that is massively broken, and that is the relationship between marketers, sellers, and the buyers of cybersecurity technology. In the studio today, we have with us Danny Wolf. Danny is the director of demand generation at Cyber Six Skill and also host of her own podcast called Audience First. Danny, welcome to the Hacker Valley podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Absolutely. We had to bring you on because you are somebody that really, really puts the customer, the practitioner at the forefront of everything that you do. And I would say there is nothing more indicative than that than one of the domains that you own and use is WTF Did I Just Read? And you use that for folks to bring you the messages, the emails that practitioners receive on a daily basis that aren't the best. Where did that idea come from, from your perspective? It came from a request from one of my guests on a podcast episode, Joseph Carson. Early on in the season, he told me, well, I wish there was a way that I could flag bad messages and email messages. And I just listened and I'm like, well, I can't do something very sophisticated, but I could create an email domain for you and you could just forward that to me and I'll see what I could do and reach out to anybody who's bothering you and tell them, hey guys, this is not the way you should be doing things. Here's an alternative. Here's a way to do things a little bit better. Listen to this episode First and foremost, if you don't want to listen, here are some steps you can take to improve your outreach and your messaging towards cybersecurity buyers. So it stemmed from just listening to what the frustrations and the pains of my audience and executing. Tell us a bit about that frustration. What kind of messages are people receiving or not receiving? What have you seen so far? Oh man, what have I not seen? (laughs) And by the way, I do urge anyone listening, and this is a shameless plug, to go to Audience First and look at the different methods that are poor methods, if you will, anywhere from bribes for meetings, which is pretty prevalent in the industry, to making the prospect feel bad because, quote unquote, they don't have time to answer the message, to using prospects as a stepping stone to get to the actual either economic buyer or champion in the industry, or frankly, just sending 
messages that have absolutely no context or need to the buyer, which is just lazy. You have to identify the problem, do a little bit of legwork to see what is the buyer interested in, who are they really, and what are they trying to solve before you even outreach them. So there are many poor methods out there, unfortunately, poor tactics out there. And some of them, sadly, are funny. I like to have a laugh here and there, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to help people who are trying to do a good job do things a little bit better. And I know that a lot of security practitioners want to help us marketers and sellers do things better. So that's the whole point of audience first and WTF did I just read? I still can't say it really well. WTF did I just read? It's hard. A lot of people want to help out and that's the whole point of the content and the resources that we're providing. So when you look at what folks are doing today from a marketing perspective, an outreach perspective, it seems like there seems to be more wrong than good. Why did that become the case? Why did it seem like folks are indexing on messaging that doesn't hit the mark, doesn't really speak to the practitioner. Maybe they're using some scare tactics or trick tactics to get meetings. Where do you think we all went wrong when it came to this place? This is my own theory. There may be other assumptions or opinions, but I think largely that it stems from the stress, the fear, and the anxiety that sellers and marketers feel in these cybersecurity startups and companies that are largely fueled by investor profits. So when you have investor money in there, you have to produce and you have to produce quick and you have to produce a lot. And so you have the boots on the ground, sellers and marketers who are trying to double revenue, triple revenue, 5x revenue, running around like chickens with their head cut off trying to fuel pipeline. And lots of them aren't educated or don't know how to approach cybersecurity buyers because they haven't taken the time to understand the buyer in the first place, which stems from doing initial audience and buyer and customer research. That's one. Two is a lot of professionals coming into cybersecurity think that what they've done in other verticals works in cybersecurity when in fact it doesn't. I know for a fact it doesn't because that's how I made mistakes in the security space. And that's how Audience First was born, was from a realization that the way you do things in cybersecurity is completely different than in other verticals. The buyers are dealing with some very stressful, serious, threatening challenges, more so than the average B2B or even B2C buyer, right? Depending on what kind of cybersecurity product you are. I deal with high consideration B2B buyers. So again, it stems from that realization and understanding that identifying what the pain is of the buyer and then realizing that You cannot approach things the way you've done in other verticals with security buyers. It just doesn't work. So if you're not identifying that in the first place, which a lot don't, how do you know if your strategies and tactics are going to work? You're just going based on assumptions and guessing. It seems like we went somewhere really, really wrong along the way because I remember being a kid and every now and again, we would get a random call and it would be of a telemarketer. And I remember my parents going nuts They will get so upset, someone invading our, almost like our space, our home, to sell a product on the inside. Typically, you had to do it from the outside way back in the day, knocking on doors. But when telemarketers got the strategy to reach people at their homes, it gave them a new level of access. I think it's the same thing in LinkedIn and social media, even our phones and emails, that we're giving people a level of access to reach us that is a little bit more personal than being outside of our house. but 
salespeople, marketers are still taking advantage of not being authentic, not really doing their research of the person to begin with. How did we ever think that that was going to work? I'm sure you've worked on so many teams, seen a lot. Has someone just thought like, I'm going to random dial 100 people, one will pick up and I'll have this amazing sell. Does that happen on teams? It does because, and it happens because the managers who are defining the strategy and the KPIs are setting the wrong KPIs. Mm. How many calls are you going to get today? You got to send a hundred calls in order to hit your quota. No, well, okay, let's take a look at the actual results. How many calls did I make? I made a hundred. How many actually picked up phone call? Three. How many turned into a meeting? Zero. That's not even qualified meeting. That's just meeting to understand if there's need and fit. So companies and teams are measuring the wrong things. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Mm. As a demand marketer, I much prefer to bring in less demo requests and less meetings, but that are going to close at a higher rate and at a higher average sales price. Obviously, I'd like to see that incrementally grow quarter over quarter, year over year, which it should given you're putting in more money, you're figuring out what's working, you're dialing down, dialing up specific things, right? But I don't expect to bring in 150 opportunities in one month. That's crazy, especially for a Series B company. So it stems from what are the right things that we should measure? And then looking back and actually seeing, do we actually have the analytics in place to measure the right things as well to understand if we're spending money and time in the right places? You just brought up a lot of really good points that I think we need to double click on. For the folks that are listening to this right now, a lot of these people are cybersecurity practitioners, not a ton of marketers, I'm sure, but there are some that listen to our show. But when we look at something like, say, brand and brand awareness type marketing versus demand gen, how do you differentiate between the two? Brand awareness brings demand. You're not going to capture demand or create new demand if people don't know who you are and what you do and what value you're going to bring to them. Very, very simple. (laughs) It makes 100% sense. When we look at marketing, I feel like for cybersecurity practitioners, it's somewhat of a black box. With sales, the practitioner, they're working with the salesperson pretty regularly. They're giving them feedback, telling them what works about the relationship between them and the salesperson, and what also works between the relationship between them and the product or them and the service. But for marketing, it almost seems like there's not that two-way street. I wanted to get your perspective on it. Is there a lot of conversation and communication between marketers and cybersecurity practitioners? Or is it more marketing out, cybersecurity practitioner in, where we're looking at the news or the blogs that the marketing team is driving out? I think the latter The whole point of audience first is because not enough marketers are talking to cybersecurity buyers. And this is my opinion, right? So others may Mm -hmm. think otherwise. I frequently see other colleagues of mine, not specifically within cybersecurity skill, but within the industry, right? All cybersecurity marketers are colleagues of mine saying, oh, you know, I'll just mute my mic in the meantime and the salespeople can talk or the sales engineer can talk. But no, why? Why are you muting your mic? Talk, speak up. And I think that there's the stigma. I'm not smart enough to talk. Well, hell yeah, you are. Can I say hell yeah? But hell yeah, Yeah. you are. Hell yeah. (laughs) I mean, why should you sit down because quote unquote, the smart people are talking? That's ridiculous. And if we remain in the marketing cave and continue to click on buttons and look at numbers, we're not going to do our jobs any better. 
So I urge anybody listening who's a marketer on this call, and I urge anybody listening who's a practitioner on this call to foster that bi-directional relationship, to be open to marketers speaking to you and to be open to speaking to practitioners and asking for feedback. Again, shameless plug. There's been great success with Audience First in four months. I cannot believe how much the message and the mission has resonated. And it stemmed from me just kind of like sucking it up, literally unmuting my mic and asking for feedback. That's how the whole podcast happened. And I wanted to know how to do my job better because analyst briefings weren't helping me. Reading articles, it wasn't deep enough for me. I wanted to ask very specific questions and to probe. And it's just reinvigorated my whole career, re-energized me. And I urge anybody to just be open to that and not be afraid. Take the plunge. How did it really reinvigorate you? I'm much more creative these days than I was before. I'm thinking about how to do marketing differently. There's validation because the buyer is telling me what doesn't work for them and what Mm. does. I just posted about this, about what we're going to be doing at Black Hat. And I know that it's going to work and we're already seeing the results, right? We're already seeing the right people coming to us and saying, hey, I want to learn more and I want to see how this works. And we're coming from an authentic place where we want to help the industry do things better. And we want to teach the industry something that they haven't learned before. And so it's really powerful. And I'm an athlete. So being able to see numbers go up kind of innately drives me. (laughs) And I see those revenue numbers go up. I see those opportunity numbers go up. The demo numbers go up. The meeting requests for Black Hat go up, right? I mean, who doesn't want to feel that kind of sense of accomplishment when you see what you're doing impacting a whole organization? And this is just from four months collaborating with my team and sharing with my team what to do. I won't say that all of the Black Hat strategy is on me, but a lot of the message that I externally present to my audience on LinkedIn and rarely on Twitter, but mostly on LinkedIn, it's just overwhelmingly satisfying to see that. And not only that, your ability to get a seat at the table increases exponentially once you have those insights in your hand. I mean, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier, to be honest. And I don't know why I was hesitant to do it. The complexity of cloud infrastructure means every organization's security challenges are unique. Whether your challenge is threat hunting, policy management, cloud workload protection, or all of the above, Uptix helps you quickly identify and eliminate observability gaps in your security program. That's Uptix. Analytics for the modern attack surface, observability for the modern defender. Check out Uptix by visiting Uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. I feel the same way, and that's exactly why we wanted to have you on the podcast. And that's part of the reason why we do it in the first place is we have these realizations after speaking to amazing practitioners in all walks of life and realize, oh my gosh, there's so much that we can take and use in our current day-to-day. Like working with marketers, they can give you so many ideas for amplifying your own message. Like if you have a great technology or a great open source project, really working with a marketer and understanding their world is going to help you with your messaging and vice versa. Marketers are doing such an amazing job at pushing things out. But what about understanding the cybersecurity practitioner? Like building those relationships 
is so important. And I see that you're doing that constantly through your podcast, through your LinkedIn. Since building relationships with cybersecurity practitioners, what have been some of the things that you've learned and taken into your own day to day? Recently, I learned that cybersecurity practitioners are equally curious to understand how to communicate internally to their audience, Mm -hmm. which is huge. Mm -hmm. So if I'm interested in probing, asking the right questions, learning how to build authentic relationships with my audience, I actively have a framework for that. How can I help my audience, the cybersecurity practitioner, do that within Not just how can I not just help the marketers and the sellers, but how can I help the practitioner who's innately kind of in a technical spot, develop those soft skills and communicate in terms that resonate with their audience. They're equally curious to learn how to do that. Many, not all, but many, because you either have to communicate to your CFO or you have to communicate to the board or you have to communicate to to sales or to the CMO, right? It's when you're in the organization and as a security practitioner, you have to be able to support the business. It's not just about the technical side of things. So I talk to a lot of people who are not used to translating numbers to speak that resonates to their audience. They're not used to translating tech to business speak. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting and it's really also very rewarding to be able to say, hey, here, this is how you could do it. It stems from understanding what is their challenge, and it stems from understanding how to ask the right questions so that you can essentially sell your story to them in words that mean something to them. Right. I couldn't agree anymore with what you just said. One thing that I have to be a little self-reflective when we're talking about cybersecurity practitioners as buyers is honestly, I think we're a tough bunch. We are a tough bunch to get through to. We're a tough bunch to have conversations with at times. How would you compare the average cybersecurity buyer to, say, other buyers in the technology space? Is it harder? Is it easier? Is there quirks that you tend to see more often than not? Interestingly enough, the buyers that I speak with in security versus other industries, you know, I've worked in the pharma industry, the big pharma industry. Oh, don't even get me started with that industry. (laughs) Worked in IT industry, selling cloud tech. Security buyers actually are much nicer, to be honest. Mm, Great. I mean, again, I have my opinions. Maybe it's because a lot of the security practitioners that I speak to have this mission to really help people at the end of the day because their job is to protect And so I'd say that there's a heightened sense of sensitivity to these people that they have, or empathy, if you will, in some, not all. There are some sharks out there. But yes, they are a tough bunch to crack in terms of going in for the ask. And there's a process to going in for the ask. And I have that process. I'm I'm developing that process. It's pretty universal, to be honest. It's not social engineering, but it stems from being innately curious, genuinely curious to developing a relationship to then being able to ask for something in return. It doesn't happen on the fly. That's why cold outreach doesn't work because how can I trust you if we haven't established a relationship? I have no idea who the hell you are. Right. Why would I scratch your back or why would you scratch mine if I don't even know who you are? Like The whole point of security is not to trust everything that you see. Mm -hmm. So trust and credibility is huge, a huge part of that. And establishing authentic relationships is a huge part of that. And then again, why it doesn't work all the time because it stems from that initial problem that we talked about in the beginning of the conversation. 
I want to go back to demand and brand for a second, because what you said was very interesting just now. And I think it kind of goes to the marketing challenge of you're describing almost building a relationship with the problem space of an industry, but also with the people working in that industry. But what about when you're on the marketing, whether it's the brand or demand side, and you're trying to get people to do something, but you actually don't have access to them. You're not speaking to them in their inbox or on the phone. You're doing it through another means. How do you build that level of trust and relationships that way? If you look at marketing and maybe compared to sales, sales people, they have access to the buyer. They're supposed to reach out to them, whether it's through the form of a call or an email, LinkedIn even, and build a relationship, hopefully like you're describing, or sell the product or sell the idea. But what about for marketers that don't have access to the buyers typically? How do they build that level of trust that you were just describing like that people typically do through building a relationship one-to-one? I will counter and ask why should marketers build relationships with buyers? And why should it be siloed between marketing and sales? Because it's essentially one function you're trying to make money. Right. You typically hear the term marketing and sales. And I don't think there should be any silos. Like that's really kind of what I'm getting at. Like, is Mm -hmm. there a way to break down that perceived silo? And how do we do that? Because if a marketer reached out to me, I will say that it would be less surprising now because I have a podcast. There's a lot of collaboration. But years ago, it might have been very out of the ordinary. I might have not known how to approach that conversation as someone that was so technical and in the weeds. Yeah. It comes from approach within organizations. And there's a problem when you look at it as a conveyor belt. Marketing, then you have the SDR function, and let's pass it on to sales to handle the actual relationship when it should be all across the board and deep. Because who says that if you're, let's just say I'm a marketer and I'm posting something technical on LinkedIn and the head of threat intelligence reaches out to me and asks me a question, why should I pass it on to sales? Why shouldn't I understand their pain first, right? And then provide them an answer myself. Because who says Mm -hmm. they're going to have time to actually reach my sales guy or talk to my sales guy next week? It'll probably take X amount of time. I could shorten that time and give them the value they need right away if I, initially before even that conversation, identified the pain, established the relationship, had a conversation with people and would understand what is the need of a head of threat intelligence and to be able to probe for questions and give them the answer they need right away in that LinkedIn post. It made me think back for a second. If that were to happen with any of the sales people I worked at, if I was like working as marketer and reaching out directly to the buyer, the sales rep might actually be upset. They have their own agenda. They're trying to do things their own specific way. And reaching out to them might cause friction. But what you're describing is like, hey, there should be that relationship where we're all working together, even with the buyer, to make things just right and as they wish. 100%. And to be frank, I don't get commission. I get a yearly bonus. It is in my best interest to help accelerate that deal right? So I'm just trying to help out. Hey guys, here's some foundation work, did a little bit of legwork, explored this, added into your Salesforce notes. Here's some context that you should understand. Please take it forward. And you better bet that I'm going to follow up on that because I'm invested now. Love it. Committed to doing the right thing. It sounds like the bonus is a nice to have, but your commitment to do the right thing, to learn and to also educate others is so evident from all the work that you're doing. 
on the podcast and at Cyber Six Guild. But I got to ask, there's someone that may be down on their luck where they feel like they're not establishing those meaningful relationships. Maybe it's due their communication, but they want to reset and start over and try something new. What would you recommend for someone who's starting fresh when building their network and building these relationships? Identify your bleeding neck challenge. What are you trying to improve right away? Write it down on paper. Identify who you're trying to reach at the end of the day. Who's your ideal customer profile, as they say, or who's your target audience? Look in your network, see if you have anybody in your network, or even look, by the way, look at a prospect who might have converted recently within your CRM. Take a look to see if they're active on social media. Reach out to them on LinkedIn and say, hey, I'm not trying to pitch you. I just want some feedback on some messaging, or I just want some feedback on insert your problem here. Would you be open for a seven to 13 minute conversation on how I could do better? Because I feel like I'm not hitting the mark here. And Mm. try it out. See if that person answers you and see if they become a trusted advisor to you. Vice versa, become a trusted advisor to them. That's how it started for me, to be honest. I just frankly asked, I made you mad? Okay, well, what did I do? Can you tell me? Because I don't want to do that again. It's not a nice feeling. And this person was frankly very, very generous in giving me his time, 60 minutes to be exact, on the list of 99 problems that I have caused and that I should not do again and the alternative. It's not about identifying only the problem, it's identifying the alternative. And that's the point here is for you to reach out to these people, these buyers for feedback on what to do differently. Outstanding. It's those incremental improvements that really makes anyone great at what they do. Danny, just wanted to say thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. We are going to drop all of your links to your podcast. And even if folks want to submit a message or two to WTF, did I just read again? Thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us. And we will see everyone in the next episode. Thank you. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us. If you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend or talked about it over coffee. 